Welcome into the latest edition of the Sharpshooters podcast. I'm David Schuster, joined by my compadre, Mark Schanowski, as we record this podcast on Thursday following the Bulls' recent 2-3 and three homestand, Mark. And some good games, obviously, um, although against some inferior competition that was basically all banged up. But last night, it was just one of the worst losses that the Bulls have suffered in a long, long, long time. Um, they blew a 23-point lead overall. They had the Spurs, which, honestly, they're not that great a team either with a lot of no-names, go on a 17-0 run, and they outscored the Bulls 39-19 to in the fourth quarter. You know, And that caps off the 2-3 and three home stand. And, and I, honestly, a major disappointment, Mark. Well, we talked at this time last week about how this homestand may determine their direction at the March 25th trade deadline. And I think what it showed, A.K. and Mark Eversley, is that this team needs a point guard. They need better interior defense. And now they, they could wait till the summer to make those moves. They could just ride it out and say, well, we gave it our best shot. We came up short and we got a lottery pick and everything's good. But I wouldn't be surprised if knowing that Billy Donovan wants to win, he wouldn't have made that lineup change if he wasn't thinking about this year and possibly sneaking into one of those play-in spots. I wouldn't be surprised if AK makes a move to try to either get a veteran point guard who can stabilize their offense or get an interior defender who can help protect the rim. Those are the two biggest crying needs right now. And I think that the front office has been on the lookout for some help. We've heard the name Andre Drummond, who's not really a shot blocker, but he is, he's got girth at 270 pounds where he can probably defend the paint better than Wendell Carter Jr., I wouldn't be surprised if they make a bid for that. I wouldn't be shocked if they traded Lowry Markkinen. I think all things are out there as possibilities. So I think the hours leading up to the trade deadline will be pretty interesting. Obviously, we'll talk about it later, but Milwaukee made a move to try to solidify their front court. And I think that just about all the contending teams are going to be on the lookout for that one more piece. Because I think the assumption around the league right now is it's going to be Brooklyn and the Lakers in the finals. And all these other teams are seeing if they can make some moves to maybe close the gap. Well, as our good friend uh, and writer Joe Colley said a little bit earlier in an article today, the honeymoon for Arturis Karnishevis, especially on the heels of last night's game, it might be over. I mean, Bulls fans, you know, and that remains to be seen because they're still not in attendance at all at the game. So you don't know if they're booing or cheering at home. But I, last night's loss is just going to stick in a lot of people's craw. You you cannot lose a game like that. And, and, and I think fans potentially, and I'm a fan, of, you know, also are getting a little fed up. What you're seeing out there that um, Karnishevis, and, and again, credit to Billy Donovan for getting trying to get the most out of them. It's just not good enough, Mark. They've had four wins, and we talked about this last week, and, you know, the number has not gone up. They've got four wins against teams that are 500 or better, and those four wins are basically against 500 teams. They have not beaten a good team all season. That's a bad That's a bad thing to have on your report card. Well, you look at the homestand, and really, they should have swept it or at least gone 4-1 and one because Philadelphia came in without Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, and they just whacked the Bulls in that first game after the All-Star break. Then Miami came in without their starting center, Bam Adebayo, and you know their, their backup center went off, and, and they, they beat the Bulls in, in a close game last Saturday. Then the Bulls beat up on a couple of uh, weak teams uh, in the next two games. And then San Antonio came in, no DeMar DeRozan. LaMarcus Aldridge, of course, is away from the team as he's waiting for a trade or a buyout. And, you know, they were lifeless in the first half. They fell behind, as you mentioned, by 23 points. It would have been super easy for San Antonio to just say this game is over. But but credit to Pop and his group that they, they kept fighting. They kind of switched up the defense. They started trapping the Bulls' guards. 
And what we've seen is, especially when Colby White is in the game, they don't handle pressure very well. No, they don't. You know, and this is something, a theme that we've been talking about for a long, long time. Kobe White is not a point guard. The Bulls need a point guard. We'll talk more about that as we go on. But last night's loss, and, and they've had a, quite a few of these already this season where they've had big leads. You know, and another game that comes quickly to mind is Oklahoma City earlier in the season where they've had big leads and they've blown them. Anyway, let's hear from uh, the first of two cuts from Zach Levine what it's like not only blowing last night's game, but multiple games where they've had big leads and they end up losing. Pissed off. I mean, I don't know how anybody else feels. I don't know how I feel. You know, it's upsetting. And, uh, you know, you feel the momentum shift in the game. Um, and sometimes you can't do a lot about it. You know, I think I got to take better responsibility myself as a leader of the team and try to get guys together um, and try to organize it. But, you know, you know, to your point, it sucks, you know, because we let so many games waste. It's a great opportunity. We had a really good quarter or two quarters. You know, we're up 18 at one point, and I don't know what we're up to end the third quarter. I think we're up at least 10. So, uh, yeah, it sucks. Yeah, he was none too happy after last night's game, Mark. Well, his goal is to make the playoffs. He wants to shed that label of being, you know, an empty stats guy who can't affect winning, who can't lead a team into the postseason. And I think that is his secondary goal, or maybe his primary goal. He wanted to make the all-star team, and he wants to get into the playoffs. Those are the two things he really wanted to accomplish this year. And he knows that if they fall short, the blame is going to go on him as the best player on this group. So he was very frustrated. He's seen so many games being given away. You think back to the early season game against Golden State where they got beat on a late shot, really gave that game away. The game against Portland where Damian Lillard hit the, a couple of miraculous threes, like they gave that one away. They blew a 20-point lead at Oklahoma City. They should be 500 or better. They should be solidly in a, in a playoff spot. Instead, they're fighting on the edges. And, and, you know, you look at the standings right now, I think it's going to come down to the Knicks, the Charlotte, and the Bulls. Two of the teams will get to play in. The other one will be going home. Yeah. You know what, Mark, as I look at the roster, and, and again, most of these players are not Bill, are Arturis Karnishevis players. He inherited them from the previous regime, although even Patrick Williams, I'm going to say, is a little bit of an enigma. We'll talk more about him as time goes on. But, but so many of these players, I use the word enigma because you think they have more to offer and, and they just don't do it. And I want to pick, I hate to say, pick on Wendell Carter Jr. for just a second, but I am going to do just that. Uh, yeah, he was a lottery pick at number seven. Uh, he's an undersized center. I don't think he wants to play center, but he's not honestly talented enough to play the four either because he just doesn't have enough offensive game. Um, anyway, let's hear from Wendell Carter Jr. This is after one of his games against Philadelphia, the first game of the homestand. He was awful. And, and they scored, what, Philadelphia had, what, 70 points in the paint? Something yeah, like that. Yeah. All right, so here's Wendell Carter after the game saying his whole game, especially offensively, is going backwards. Offensively, you know, finishing around the rim, uh, being more aggressive. I feel like I've regressed in that area of being a, aggressive on the offensive end. Um, you know, just trying to play the right way, do, do everything that everybody's telling me to do, but at the same time, I understand that me being aggressive will be better for my team. So, um, I just, I just gotta play a lot better on the offensive end. Yeah, he was uh, he was frustrated, uh, but if he's frustrated, think about what Bulls fans are, Mark. Yeah, and he said uh, before the game when he was benched, he says, "Well, if I was the coach, I would have benched myself too." 
which again gives you some kind of an inkling into his psyche. He is a little bit fragile when it comes to his confidence level. And when Billy decided to make the change in the starting lineup, you know, he did come out strong in that first game against Oklahoma City where he was a ball of fire when he first came off the bench. He scored seven quick points. He blocked the shot. You know, he got a couple of defensive rebounds. He looked like the player the Bulls thought they were getting out of out of Duke. But then he picked up a couple of fouls, didn't do much in the second half, and they didn't do much in the game against the Spurs. He is one of these guys, I think, who battles his confidence. And that's tough in, in a grown man's league like the NBA. If a, if a player senses that, uh, you know, your your opponent senses that you're not confident, he's going to go at you even harder. And I think that's been a real problem for Wendell. You know, I use the word enigma, Mark, but I'll use another word also when I talk about players like Wendell Carter Jr. and Lowry Markinen and Kobe White and, and, and honestly, a lot of guys on this roster. Besides enigma, I use the word tease because at times you see what they can do. And you just made mention when Carter, the first time coming off the bench, yeah, he showed an offensive outburst for, but then he goes back into his shell. Patrick Williams goes into his shell. You know, I know he's 19. I know he's the second youngest player in the NBA. I get all that. But if you show it, you know, why do you go back into your shell? I just don't understand at times, Mark, why these guys are not more consistent than they are. Well, it's probably a good thing that Billy Donovan's wearing a mask on the sideline. He can kind of hide his facial expressions, which I'm sure would be interesting. You know, he he has been a a study in patience this year with a young group that just goes up and down, you know, rides the waves. Um, You know, you see him on the sideline. You can see sometimes his face looks a little bit redder and he looks a little bit upset. But I think that he's chomping on that gum and he's trying to work out some of his frustrations that way. Um, I think he's done a marvelous job in trying to deal with, a, you know, kind of a roster that's ill-fitting. They, uh, when AK and, and Mark Eversley came in, they inherited a roster got the guys that had years left on their deals. And rather than trying to blow it up right away in a pandemic environment where they would be selling low on a lot of guys, they decided they would start this new season with the, the roster intact and they would ride it out and see where they need to make the changes. That's why, as I said earlier, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a move by next Thursday because they've had a half a season to evaluate. And I think they know that Wendell Carter Jr. is not a starting center in the NBA, that they have to address that. I think they know that Kobe White is not a starting point guard in the NBA. And as good as Tomas Sadoransky looks at times, he's 6'7", not particularly lateral quick. To ask him guard all these elite scoring point guards in the NBA, that doesn't work. So eventually they're going to have to find a guy who can handle that position at both ends of the court. And that guy's not on the roster right now. We're going to hear from Billy Donovan in just a couple of minutes here, but let's hear one more from Wendell Carter Jr. Again, the big move that happened on this homestand, and it was after um, after the Philadelphia game where Billy Donovan sat down both Wendell Carter Jr. and Kobe White, two lottery picks by the previous regime, and put in, as you mentioned, Thad Young and Tomas Sadoransky. Anyway, uh, and, and that's a radical move. I mean, that's again, that's an indictment of the previous regime, to be honest with you. Anyway, here's Wendell Carter Jr. He says, you know, it wasn't really that surprising, and he's been through this before. But it kind of happened to me when I was in college. I think it was like halfway through the season. I was benched for like, not benched, but I came off the bench for, I think, two games maybe. And, uh, you know, it, it just humbles you. It just lets you know that, you know, you can't be taking things like that for granted. Um, especially for myself. Um, I see myself as a starter, but, uh, you know, you know, I, I trust Billy a lot. And I think I, I echo that a lot to him and let him know that, you know, whenever he makes decisions, I, 
I'm always behind him. He's been a part of winning teams and he knows what it takes to win. And I wasn't playing well for like the past five or six games. So he understood that he had to switch some things up, uh, to, and it, it had to be changing the lineup. So, you know, I'm here for him. I mean, yeah, I'm here for him and I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. And I couldn't agree with you more, Mark. I mean, unfortunately, what is being proven as time goes on, and you know, you, you can't come to conclusions sometimes too quickly, but as time goes on, it just gets cemented. You're right. Wendell Carter Jr. is not a starting center. He's not big enough, to be honest with you, in the NBA. And, and I knew this about Kobe White, but time has gone on to further cement my feelings on this. He's not a true point guard. He just isn't. Well, we just heard from Wendell Carter Jr. about his experience at Duke. Remember, I think the fans are familiar with this story that he was recruited to be the star along the front line. And then Marvin Bagley III was reclassified and was able to uh, go to college a year earlier than expected. So Coach K brought him in and asked Wendell to sacrifice and let Marvin Bagley be the feature scorer up front. And he would be the guy who would do the dirty work, try to get the offensive rebounds, be the defensive stopper. And, you know, that kind of set the tone for the way his career has developed. You know, he took a backseat to Bagley at Duke. Bagley was drafted second in the draft that uh, Wendell came out seventh. You know, the Sacramento Kings are kicking himself for that because they could have had Luca at number two. But, you know, in terms of Wendell's situation, you know, there's always there's always a reason why he's not productive. You know, at Duke, it was, well, they brought in Bagley and I promise this and that. And then with the Bulls, it was like, well, the coaching turnover, I've had three coaches in three years. You know, this is a, like I said, it's a grown man's league and nobody, nobody wants to hear it. Yes, he is undersized at center. Um, some of the best games against him were by elite centers like Joel Embiid and, and Nikola Jokic. The Bulls are going to see Jokic on Friday. That's going to be ugly. But, you know, they, they do need to address both of those spots. AK sees it. Billy Donovan sees it. And they may not be able to do it by next Thursday, but they certainly will address some of those concerns. And I think the roster will be shaken up quite a bit this summer. Yeah, we'll talk about uh, the trading deadline coming up and what we both think might happen over this next week in just a second. Let's hear from Billy Donovan, though, because, you know, I'm sure it was his move. I'm sure he ran up the flagpole with Arturis Karnishevis in the front office, but I think it was mostly his move to make the changes that he did. Anyway, here's his, uh, uh, not excuses, here's his reasoning for why he made the changes with the starting lineup. It's more trying to get a consistent combination through 48 minutes and, you know, obviously with a condensed schedule and a lot of games in a short period of time, limited practice time, you just don't have time to say, OK, let's take a look at this in practice. Let's 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 put this group out here and scrimmage. We just don't have that luxury. So I just didn't want time to keep going by without trying to do everything I could do to try to help the team and help these guys. And like I said all along, they've been committed and they've worked hard. But it was just something that I felt like we needed to do because the group was not playing great together. And again, like I said, it's it's not, you know, anybody. It's it's not Wendell and it's not Kobe at all. It's nothing to do with them. It's just more the whole five of them, you know. And I think the numbers bear that out, and watching film bears that out. And, and I'm still smiling, Mark, at what you said that the mask basically masks his maybe potential <laughs> feelings. And, and and I will give Billy Donovan credit. Even after the game, even after last night's game, the terrible loss to, to San Antonio, he was pretty calm after the game. I think he knows in the long run, as much as he's complimented these guys for giving him their honest best effort, he knows that he's not going to be, and I hate to use this word, but I will, saddled with this roster in the long run. So he knows that changes will come down the road. 
Well, during the game broadcast, Adam Amin and Stacey King put a lot of the blame for the collapse on the bench. And the bench unit, of course, Garrett Temple is out with an ankle injury. He should be back soon. So you had Ryan Archidiacono and Denzel Valentine playing big minutes in that second half. And honestly, I don't think either one of those guys are quality NBA players. You know, at the end of the roster, good practice guys, you know, good character guys, fine. But they, they, they should not be in NBA rotations. And because of, of the injury to Temple, they were out there and they missed a bunch of shots. Those, uh, those two guys and Kobe White combined to go one for 12 from three-point range. They took some three-point shots during that stretch when San Antonio got back in the game. You know, the offense kind of <clears throat> ground to a halt. They stopped moving. The ball wasn't moving. Guys weren't cutting. And then it became isolation ball. And when you've got Denzel out there with Kobe White and, and Archie and Wendell Carter, you're not going to get a lot of offense out of that group. And then by the time the starters came back in, it was a one-point game. So it, it just was a series of, you know, the perfect storm. And that's what happens when you blow a 20-point lead. It's the things you don't do wrong. The te- other team gets hot, and the Bulls did not respond well to the pressure. And Billy's talked about it often. This team – these young guys need to learn how to close games. And to this point, we see it over and over again. They get tight in the late minutes of close games and don't execute the way they have for the first 36 minutes. Well, you mentioned Kobe White, and I've been saying this since, you know, the, almost the first time I laid eyes on him in person in a Bulls uniform. He's not a point guard. He's not a starting point guard. And I think ultimately his role in the NBA, and he's young, so he's got a lot of years in front of him. He has talents. There's no fans or buts about it. And his MO as a basketball player has always been he's a scorer. He's the North Carolina's all-time leading scorer. And let's remember, a guy by the name of Michael Jordan came from that state. So that's you know that's a heady title in itself. Anyway, here's Kobe White talking about that he was okay with going from the starting unit to the bench. You know, at the end of the day, all I want to do is win. So... Obviously, we wasn't getting off to a good start um, with that unit. And, uh, you know, we're halfway through the season now, and he still wasn't getting off to a good start. So, you know, he had to make a change as a coach. He got to make those tough decisions. And, uh, you know, I was all for it. You know, I just want to win at the end of the day. I mean, it's really no process for me. Like, it's already processed. I know what I got to do. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I'm not going to let it affect me any type of way. I'm still going to go be me and, uh, you know, play with that joy. You know, nothing can ever take my joy from the game. So, you know, it's just – you know, um, looking forward to it tonight. We played really well. Me some lineups up, so um, it was fun being out there for sure. Going to be really interesting, Mark, to see where, where Kobe White's ascension in the NBA is. And I, I'm telling you, it's not going to be in a start as a starter. It just won't be. Yeah, just to clarify, one of the things you said earlier for some of our listeners, uh, Kobe White was a leading scorer in high school, not in high North school. Carolina. Yeah, yes, so we, we just you know how that is. You say something like that, people go, "Hey, what are you doing?" You know. But it was uh, in the high school ranks for Kobe. Yes. But, you know, he said all the right things. And by all accounts, the kid is, is a tireless worker. He'll go back to the gym with his brother late at night and work on his shot. Um, but, you know, I mentioned something on Twitter the other day that uh, Tomas Sadaransky, after the win over Oklahoma City, was talking about his chemistry with Zach Levine, which he said sometimes is just nonverbal. They can just see what the other one's going to do, setting up the backdoor cut for an easy layup or dunk. And I tweeted that, you know, that's the point guard mentality. That's something you can't teach. And Kobe can go in the gym at, at midnight and shoot jumpers, you know, as long as he wants. If you don't have that innate feel for how to run NBA offense, how to bring out the best in the other four teammates on the court, the coach can try to drill it into you. They can go over film and they can hammer. This is what you need to do. But Kobe at, at his core is a scoring guard. And he fights that every time out on the court. Sometimes you can see where there's a lot of indecision in his body language because he knows the coaching staff 
with Billy and Maurice Cheeks are looking at him saying, you got to make a pass there. You can't, you can't take that shot early in the shot clock. But in his mind, he's always thinking, I can beat the man in front of me and I can get to the basket or I can get an open jump shot. That's kind of the disconnect with Kobe. You know, he just turned 21 a few weeks ago. The hope is that, that he'll improve as time goes on. But the reality is he just may not have what it takes to be a top flight NBA point guard. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's right. a role. There's a role for a guy like him. I mean, the best six players maybe in basketball history have been the, that guard who comes off the bench, who the microwave is the, one of the greatest nicknames of anybody in NBA history. Vinny Johnson, the microwave, came off the bench and won games coming off the bench for the bad boys team of, of you know the Pistons back in uh, in the late 80s. There's nothing wrong with having a player like that. And I think ultimately, and we've talked about this almost ad nauseum, I think that's what his role will be in the NBA going forward after this season. And he can be very successful in that role, have a long career and make a lot of money. Uh, I had a chance to interview Jamal Crawford last week on a podcast I do with Stacey King called Give Me the Hot Sauce if you want to check it out. And Jamal talked about the fact that when he went to New York, he was starting there for a long period of time. And then they asked him to go to the bench, explaining that he would get just as many minutes, just as many shots as he did when he was starting. And he said initially he kind of chafed at that, thinking, I can score on anybody in the league. Why are you asking me to come off the bench? I'm a starting guard in this league. But he just kind of made peace with the idea that he could be very productive in a bench role. He could feast scoring against other teams' reserves. And, of course, Jamal's a three-time six-man of the year. He scored 50 points with four different organizations, which is just remarkable. And, you know, he's, he's going to turn 41 later this month, and he still thinks he can play in the league. So he, he had a remarkable career, accepting the fact that he could be an instant offense scorer off the bench. And that's, that may be ultimately what Kobe's going to need to do in terms of a mental adjustment. And you know what, Mark? You know what's more important than starting a game? Finishing a game. And, the, exactly. and these kind of players can finish games. I mean, some of the great players in NBA history are what I call the fourth quarter players. That that's when winning, you know, winning time happens, obviously, in, in many instances. And these are the kind of guys who can put the ball in the basket in clutch situations. And I think that again, I think that's ultimately what Kobe White's role will be. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that his ability to score, you know, he's one of the fastest players in the league. I think he can be more of an impact in transition. And if you put him with that second group, he's going to have more freedom when Zach's not on the court just to try to initiate his own offense, to run some isolations. And and he can score as many points coming off the bench as he would in the starting role. Yeah, I, I want to talk a couple more different subjects with the Bulls and the league and everything else. But we got one more sound by honor on the heels of making the All-Star game. I don't know if this was one of his goals, but he's attained it nonetheless. He was named as one of the players. I think there's 50-some-odd players, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, Mark, I think it's for 54, yeah. 54, holy smokes, that's a lot. And they're never even going to have practices, so they're basically not picking them out of a hat for the USA basketball team. But, you know, it, it's – it's uh, Whoever is going to pick the team is watching these players right now and deciding who ultimately those 12 players will be. I should say 11 because LeBron will probably be one of them, obviously. Anyway, here's Zach Levine with the honor of being named to that USA basketball roster. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, glad I got invited. Um, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you got to take that as a uh, accomplishment. And, um, you know, I did it when I was younger. I was on the, uh, I was on the invite team that played against the top guys and, uh, you know, now to go in there with the pool players that have a chance to go over to uh to the Olympics is a big honor, and 
I mean, obviously, I'm going to go out there and try to play for my country. Good for him. <laughs> Good for him, uh, Zach Levine. I, I don't know if what he's doing in games right now will get him to be one of those 12, Mark, but still, it's an honor nonetheless. It's very unlikely that Zach would be one of the guys selected to go to the Olympics. But the one thing that could help him and other guys who are in that, you know, 15 to 25 kind of range in terms of rank, ranking the best players in the league, if it's the Nets and the Lakers in the finals, that could take LeBron, AD, Harden, Irving, and Durant all out of contention because I'm not sure of the exact timetable, but I think the finals end like the day before the Olympics opening right. ceremonies. So those guys may not play. They, they may eliminate, you know, they and the league may decide that anybody who's in the finals isn't going to the Olympics. So um, that may open up five roster spots because all five of those guys would make it if they want to be part of the Olympic team. So that'll be something interesting to watch as, as it gets closer. You know, you look around the league, though, and there's guys like Bradley Beal and, and Damian Lillard and, and so many elite point guards that, you know, it, it's going to be tough for Levine to make it as, as a backcourt player. But you know, he's got the right attitude about it. I'm sure he'll, he'll keep himself in great shape after the season ends. If they have any kind of a mini camp, he'll go. He'll play extremely well. And it might be that Greg Popovich could select him. You never know. All right. You just used the word tough. Speaking of tough, the bull schedule upcoming is beyond tough. It's, it's almost murderous. Um, they do play at Denver and Detroit on a short two-game road trip. Then they're home against Utah and Cleveland, and then it gets really ridiculous. They're at San Antonio. They're at Golden State. They're at Phoenix. They're at Utah. So th those are four tough games on the road. They're home for one game. Then they have another four-game road trip. So they'll have a span of nine games with eight of them on the road. Um you know, it's 50-50 at best, Mark, if this team makes the playoffs. Yeah, I'd say it's less than that because when you look at the schedule, it is murderous coming up. And if AK decides to trade off a veteran, whether it's Sato or Garrett Temple, I don't think they're going to trade that young. I think that that young is, has taken on almost a life of its own this year. He's become so popular with the fan base, the same fan base that was ready to run him out of town last year when he was very unproductive under Jim Boylan. So I, I think Bad Young stays unless they're overwhelmed with some multiplayer deal that they just can't, you know, can't turn down. But, you know, Steph Curry has been making a lot of noise in Golden State. He's very unhappy with the young guys they're bringing off the bench. I could see them trading for Osado to help solidify their backcourt because they've had a lot of issues with uh, uh, backup performers there. Um, I could see Garrett Temple going if a contending team wants another bet off the bench. And as I said, it wouldn't shock me if, if Lowry Markin is traded, if, if AK decides – they don't want to pay $20 million plus per season on a new contract for Lowry. You might as well get something for him rather than letting him walk uh, this summer. All right. Well, obviously, there's going to be some moves, roster moves, before we probably do our next podcast, which will be right after the trading deadline next week. But I'm going to make a prediction. I think the one player that will go, and actually uh, what you talk about with Golden State, I mean, Golden State, they're a weird team, as is also, especially in the front line. If Thad Young would fit in like a glove there, that would get you a mid-first-round pick if you if they, if they it's available. Um, and that's something that you know I'm sure Arturis Karnishevis would consider. I don't think he's going anywhere, but that's something that he should and would consider. But I think Tomas Sadoransky is the one guy who easily could be traded. Now, he's not going to fetch you that much. Ed, if you got a late first-round pick, I, I, I'd pack his bags for him, to be honest with you. But even yeah, a second you're not getting a first-rounder for Sato. No, I know that. I know that. But even a second-round pick, I, I would highly consider that. And the fact that they put him in the starting lineup here, Mark, at least gave 
other teams a chance to look at him as a showcase player here during this homestand. And like you said earlier, he has his ups and downs. You know, he could be a, a decent backup point guard for a team that right now is dissatisfied with what they have coming off the bench. I, I, the the one thing that I think is really going to happen, though, there's just no reason for Otto Porter Jr. to be here anymore. There's zero reason. And I could easily see them coming to some kind of financial settlement to say, hey, you want to go pick your team You know, the rest of the season? Go ahead. Maybe it is even Golden State. But I think Otto Porter Jr. will be bought out this coming week. Yeah, I know you were at an event yesterday, so you didn't get a chance to watch the game as closely as you'd like. But he missed a layup on a three-on-one fast break where earlier in his career he would have exploded to the goal and dunked it with two hands. He literally – Missed a layup like a like what you or I would have done at our current age, you know, no lift off the ground, underlaid it, and and that really was when things started to go downhill. They they were blowing San Antonio out of the gym. He, he missed an uncontested three-on-one layup, and since he's come back from the back injury, he's looked slow. You know, he, he has no lift, um, no lateral quickness. He's only 27 years old, but you know, I think what'll end up happening is they'll buy him out of the rest of his contract. We still haven't figured out what's going on with Chandler Hutchison. You know, he's he's dressing for games now. Uh, Billy Donovan said a few days ago that he's still not ready to participate in games, but you know he is practicing. You know, you could you could buy out Porter and hopefully Hutchison can play those minutes because there's another guy that's been totally unavailable since they drafted him in the first round. You know, over the last 30 games or so, wouldn't be a bad idea to see if if he's an NBA player. Yeah, you know, they always say you don't know what's going on and you can't walk in other people's shoes. I have no idea what's going on with Chandler Hutchinson. Right. Don't think he's injured. It's something behind the scenes, whether it's mental or who the heck knows. But it's very, very, very peculiar that he's around the team and even dresses now, but you don't see him. It's just a very, very peculiar situation. Another guy they could take a look at if this tough stretch goes against them and they they feel like they're out of the playoff race is Devon Dotson, the rookie out of Kansas, who played very well in the G League. Of course, the Bulls didn't field a G League team down in the bubble in Orlando, but he was assigned, I believe, to the Canton Charge. And he played very well for that team. I know he's nursing a minor injury right now, but uh, they may decide to move him ahead of Archie Diacono and see if maybe he's a guy that can give them uh, you know, some pace with the second unit who can score driving to the basket and, and maybe can be a guy that uh, they can look at developing down the road. Yeah. You know, uh, I want to go back to Patrick Williams for just a second. We talk, talked about him very early on in this podcast. Uh, you know, I, I, I can't hold anything against him again, because he's only 19 years old, but Mark, we've seen the kid at times, you know, and even Stacy, I mean, Stacy is very complimentary of him. He calls him a man's move when he does something in the lane, whether it's a rebound or going over people and, and, and dunking the basketball. But then he has games where, I mean, the other night he shot the ball three times, Mark. He's a starter who shot the ball three times in a game. Or you see him go one of six from the field. You know, and we talked about his aggressiveness is very key for his game going forward. How do they get this? How do they get this out of this kid at this point? I just don't get it. Yeah, we have talked about it a lot, and I think a lot of it has to do with his background, not being a starter in college and coming in at 19 and not wanting to feel like you know he's stepping anybody's toes by taking too many shots. He's a very quiet kid; doesn't show any emotion on the court. He's got to come out of his shell, both mentally and with what he does on the basketball floor. And I think that will happen in time. 
Um, you know, he's surrounded by guys who are taking a lot of shots, especially when Kobe White is out there. I don't think there's a lot of opportunities for him, but there are times where he'll catch the ball on the perimeter, isolated one-on-one with a guy that you think that he can beat off the dribble. And because, you know, he's 6'8", 225, he can finish through contact. He should be a little bit more aggressive, and hopefully we'll see that over these last 30-plus games. All right, before we get to our walk down uh, memory lane uh, segment, a couple of things around the league. First of all, unfortunately, the news came out yesterday, and apparently it happened well over a month ago, that Sean Bradley um, was uh, in a bicycle accident, I guess hit by a car. And my daughter was on a bicycle accident hit by a car many years ago. Fortunately, she didn't suffer any major damage to her body, but apparently Sean Bradley is paralyzed. I I hope not permanently. to what extent, I'm, we're not even sure about that. That actually hurt to hear that story. And let's face it, Sean Bradley, seven feet, six inches tall. So I, I hope for the best, but that was that was really hurtful news to hear that. Yeah, he was one of the most likable guys in the league. He wore number 76 to reflect his height, as you just mentioned. And, you know, he was kind of a, a punching bag at times during his career because at that height, most guys that size, are not going to be the most coordinated players on the court. And he was very thin and guys took great pleasure in trying to dunk over him and kind of laugh or snicker next to their teammate, but he took it all in good humor. You know, some of the statements that we saw on social media yesterday, players just universally praising him, saying what a great person he was, what a great teammate, how much fun he was to be around. Um, You know, just a horrible thing. I mean, just a picture of a seven, six guy riding a bicycle is, you know, creates a a different vision in your mind. And then for him to to be hit with a car and suffer such serious injuries. I remember taking my kids to see the movie Space Jam. And of course he was one of the players who had their powers stolen by the Monstars. And, <laughs> and you know, again, you saw the seven, six guy in the movie, not being able to, to dribble or, or even dunk the ball at seven, six. So he was good in that role. And, you know, we wish him all the best, you know, from what I'm getting, from what I'm hearing, you know, the, the paralysis, you know, could be permanent, but we, we just hope the best for him long term. Yeah, absolutely. All right. A few other things around the league. Um, uh, you know, LeBron, I think a little bit of LeBron's luster has come off as the Lakers have gone backwards in the standings. And a lot of that has to do, obviously, with Anthony Davis being injured. Um Joel, en- Joel Embiid has been injured. So even though I think he currently still has the number one status is, you know, the leading candidate to be the MVP. But I know how you feel about James Harden, Mark, but James Harden has moved up dramatically up the totem pole and might be neck and neck right now with Joel Embiid for MVP. What he's done helping the Nets, Kyrie Irving has missed a lot of time. Obviously, Kevin Durant has missed a ton of time. And James Harden is still having that team win. He had another game last night, 40 points, 10 rebounds, 15 assists. You know, he's moving up that totem pole. He, he's neck and neck as far as I'm concerned with Embiid for MVP as of right now. Well, he's been remarkable. And we talked about it last week where I said I think that he eliminated himself by the way, you know, he quit playing in Houston for that trade. He is erasing some of those memories in the, in the minds of voters right now. And I think Joel Embiid as a seven-footer with a bone bruise, um, you know, I heard a, a former NBA player talk about the fact that he had a bone bruise and it took him eight months to get over it because there's just, it just doesn't heal. So, you know, they're talking about at least two weeks for Embiid. It could be a month, and then that would eliminate him from the MVP discussion. Harden then will move up. I honest, I still think that the, the writers are going to give LeBron a lifetime achievement MVP this year. As long as the Lakers stay first or second in the West, 
I think LeBron's going to get the lifetime achievement MVP and, and, and catch Michael at five. Well, it's interesting you say first or second because that's my next question. Biggest uh, team surprise on a positive end and a negative end. And right now the Lakers are not number one or two. The two teams that are my biggest positive surprise are Utah and Phoenix, who are currently one and two in the Western Conference. I still think the Lakers come out of the West because Anthony Davis, they're just sitting him in the weeds, you know, getting him as healthy as possible for the postseason. But those are the two biggest positives I've seen. Um, the biggest disappointments in the NBA, Mark, and, and I'll ask your opinion on both, the Boston Celtics, they've never gotten their ship righted this whole year, and maybe some of the shine has come off the um, off the, of the rose of Brad Stevens, unfortunately, although I think he's still a great coach. And the other team that's been a disappointment to me, and we've seen them play the Bulls a couple of times this season, are the New Orleans Pelicans. Obviously, Zion Williams is unbelievable and will only get better. They made the coaching change, and it hasn't worked down there. So my two biggest surprises from a positive end are the two teams in the West, Utah and Phoenix, and my two biggest disappointments team-wise are the Celtics and the New Orleans Pelicans. Yeah, I definitely agree with you about Phoenix. They, of course, added Chris Paul during the offseason to try to stabilize a young group that had a good finish in the bubble, winning all their uh, seeding games last year but falling short of the playoffs. And Chris Paul has been a revelation in terms of bringing out the best and everybody on that roster and it's really helped stabilize them. And it's really kind of a lesson for, for fans here in Chicago. You see what a veteran point guard can do to help a young team that was floundering, that had a lot of high draft picks, but didn't show any continuity or any, or any consistency on the court. Uh, that's kind of what the Bulls are going to need. And that's why I wouldn't be shocked if they go after a guy like Kyle Lowry in free agency this year to maybe give them the same kind of stability that Chris Paul brought to the Phoenix Suns. Disappointments, yeah, Boston has to be near the top of the list. I mean, you have two All-Stars. Jalen Brown is having the best season of his career. Jason Tatum is probably one of the best 15 players in the league, and yet they're hovering around 500. They've had some injuries. Marcus Smart, who's our glue guy, has been out for long periods of time. But with the talent on that roster, Kemba Walker has, has really underachieved this year. They should be one of the top three or four teams in the East instead. They're floundering near the uh, seven, eight mark. So, yeah, they're definitely one of the biggest disappointments. And I, I know Milwaukee's shown signs of life a little bit uh, in, in recent weeks. I think they've won nine of their last ten. But they still don't look like the same team that almost got to the finals a couple of years ago. They did make a trade last night for P.J. Tucker. I thought they gave up quite a bit in terms of an unprotected first-round pick in 2023 for a guy who's going to turn 36 in May and really is having a bad season. But P.J. Tucker has this reputation as being a, a glue guy, a, def a defensive stopper who can make corner threes, and they think he can help them in the postseason. So Milwaukee and Boston have been disappointing. I think the Knicks have been a surprise team. I think Tom Th Thibodeau has done a remarkable job with that team to have them anywhere near playoff contention. Toronto could be a disappointment as well, but they've had a lot of uh, absences because of COVID and injuries. You know, They, they were a team that a lot of t uh, people thought could be a contender in the East. Instead, they're they're fighting for a playoff spot. So there has been a lot of, I think there's been more disappointments than real shocking surprise teams in the league. And and what Tibbs has done in New York, I think certainly ranks as one of the big surprises. All right, Mark, before we give our, our uh, walk down memory lane segment uh, uh, memories, do you know what happened 26 years ago today? I do because I was asked about it in, in another context. Yeah, okay. it was the it was the facts. Uh, I'm back. Michael Jordan announcing to the world that he was going to return and he would play the next day in Indianapolis against the Pacers. 
Yeah, I do remember that. That's not my segment that I'm going to talk about my memory. Um, but I uh, I lived very close to the Birdo Center. I still do actually, but they're not practicing there anymore. And so, yeah, I got a phone call that, hey, get over to the Birdo Center. It was the day before the game, and usually we wouldn't go there because they were already traveling. But obviously, that was Michael coming back with the with the facts, like you said, I'm back. So we got over to the Birdo Center, and uh, it was a major, major story. Now, he didn't really play that well against Indiana. He had a couple of good games. He played 17 games down the stretch. Um, and, you know, then he uh, got into the postseason and he was eliminated by the Orlando Magic. But then, you know, he used that as ammunition to really work hard in the offseason. He came back and then he was Michael Jordan all over again. And, you know, it's interesting, Mark. I was asked a trivia question yesterday. And um, it, it's interesting. Name the only player that has had 30 steals in two different leagues in one season. And the answer is Michael Jordan. Yeah, he had 30 steals for Birmingham, right? 30 steals for Birmingham, and yeah. he had just over 30 steals. I think it was 31 in the 17 games that he came back and played for the Bulls before, you know, they were eliminated by Orlando. And, you know, that's a trivia question that I hadn't heard before, but it's one I'm going to be using going forward. Yeah, that's pretty good. And, you know, that whole time was just so weird with the first the initial reports that Michael was practicing with the guys and, you know, is he really serious about coming back? And at first you dismissed it that he was just doing something to keep himself busy. And then the momentum continued to build to the point where you almost expected he was going to come back. Did you go to Indianapolis for his first game? I didn't go to that. I watched it on TV. He was shooting crooked most of the game. Yeah, um, I remember, you know, I can't remember what his final stats were, but they, they weren't that good. I think he scored 17 or 19 points or something like that. But then it wasn't too many games down the road that he had that 55-point performance. Right that our good buddy Bill Winnington ended up uh, with a winning basket at Madison Square Garden. So Michael started slowly to get his mojo going again, but he wasn't the same player, and he just didn't have enough time to get his game fully intact until the offseason going into the next year. Yeah, that was uh, an incredible time. I mean, when Michael retired the first time, he always held out the hope that he was going to come back and resume his basketball career. And I remember the excitement in the city when it was announced that he was going to come back. Obviously the playoffs didn't go the way they wanted where he got the ball taken from him by Nick Anderson in that Orlando series. But the next year he came back with a vengeance and, and had the, the greatest season in NBA history. Yeah. All right. What's your memory uh, going backwards? Well, I'm going to change again because you brought up the Michael Jordan thing. I had a different story. I'll just save it for that. You know, that weekend was kind of interesting. You know how difficult it is when you're on a beat to try to get time off and say, I've got a personal thing going on and, and I need that day off. Well, my daughter was born February 17th, 1995, which is the same birthday as Michael Jordan, which always gets brought up every year when she celebrates her birthday. Well, we were trying to schedule her baptism. And of course you have to work around work schedules and make sure somebody can cover your shifts. At that time I was working at channel seven Chicago and I was the weekend anchor. And so whenever the weekend guy wants the day off, it's tough to get you know, one of the main guys to cover for you. And, and I had it all arranged, you know, somebody was going to do my shifts and, and I was going to have um, my wife's family. She had some family from the Peoria area and I have a lot of family in Milwaukee and other parts of Wisconsin. So everyone was going to drive down for the baptism and then have a little celebration at our house afterwards. And so of course, Michael announces he's coming back on a Saturday, which was March 18th. And, and I'm, I'm thinking, what, what am I going to do now? I've got a baptism and all these people coming to my house. 
And thankfully, everybody covered for me. I was still able to take the day off. But the, the ceremony, as I remember, was like at one o'clock. So in the church and I was watching, looking at my watch, I think the game started at two or two thirty, and I'm, and I'm thinking, you know, father, could you hurry it up a little bit? I've got a basketball game I want to watch. And then of course, everyone comes to the house and you're trying to make sure everybody has a drink and gets food and talking to everybody. And the basketball game was on in one corner and I'm trying to watch Michael Jordan's return. And of course, I think I had an old uh, Betamax back then. I taped the game and got a chance to enjoy it later. But you know, one of the most exciting sporting events of that year and and uh, I was very busy with a, an important family occasion. Yeah, you remind me of some other things. This is not my uh, memory, but I'll bring my, my memory in a second. But both my children were born in the month of June. And obviously, during that stretch when the Bulls were really good, they were playing deep into June all, all the time. And their birthday parties or whatever were in the month of June. And we had to finagle and reschedule. And, and I'll be honest with you, I think I missed one of my children's birthday parties because I think it was the final game of an NBA finals when they won at the United center. So, you know what, even though we both have enjoyed the heck out of doing what we've done all these years, sometimes it gets in the way of our family life and, you know, it is what it is, I guess is the old adage. Um, yeah. Anyway, you, look back at all, you look back at all the, the family times or the, you know, you try to get there for all the special occasions, but there were a lot of things yep. where, you know, the onus fell on your wife to help with homework and do many things because you're working late in the evening and weren't around for those times. So yeah, there are some sacrifices made. I mean, we're, we're two of the luckiest guys in the world to be able to have had the broadcast career we've had. But yeah, there were some there were some family things that you had to navigate along the way. 100%. All right, my memory is, uh, I think the year was 2002. And, and I don't know if you were at this one, Mark, but it was when Yao Ming had his um, unveiling, if you will, tryout for the NBA in total. And I think he was coming off his season where he was playing over in China for whatever team he was playing with. And he came over to the United States and PJ Carlissimo was running the practice. And it was at the old alumni gym on the campus of Loyola. And Yao Ming was there to work out for all the teams. I think he had a private workout with the Knicks and he might've even had a private workout with the Bulls who are both going to be, you know, picking high up in the lottery that year. As it turned out, he went to Houston. They got the number one pick, but he worked out. It was a 45 minute workout and PJ Carlissimo ran the workout at Loyola gym, um, alumni gym rather at Loyola. And I'm talking about, it was a who's who of who was watching. And I was up in the stands at the gym there, like uh, leaning over the railing, trying to, you know, take a bird's eye view of what was going on. And, and I hadn't seen Yao Ming until that point. Yao Ming was huge. I mean, he was, and I'm sure you stood next to him over the years. Yao Ming was beyond huge actually. And it was a 45 minute workout. And the thing that impressed me most about that workout was he was hitting three pointers. Like they were absolute free throws, like Bozo Circus putting the, you know, the ball into bucket number one. He was an incredible shooter he was a legit 7-5, and he was being guarded by, I don't know what the guy's name was. I think he was a 7-2 guy because they went one-on-one -on -one a little bit beyond some of the other skills that Yao Ming was, was performing out there. This guy was 7-2, and he looked like a midget next to Yao Ming. Yao Ming was just beyond a huge. They had satellite trucks outside, Mark. There were reporters from Europe. There were reporters from South America. There were reporters from Asia, obviously. I, I remember I, I saw Jerry West and Pat Riley and Wes Unseld, and it was a who's who. 
And I was lucky enough to be there. I mean, I just thought it was like an incredible event. Um, and Yao Ming put on a show and obviously he was the number one pick, you know, a few weeks down the road after that. And he had a great career. I mean, Yao Ming, do you remember the first time Yao Ming went against Shaquille O'Neal? Everybody was wondering, you know, Shaquille O'Neal right. was the down center and Yao Ming, I thought outplayed him in the first couple of times when they went head to head against each other. Yeah. Yao Ming had pretty good success against Shaq and Shaq to this day is still bitter about the fact he lost so many starts in the all-star game because of the heavy fan vote in China. That got Yao Ming a starting spot over Shaquille O'Neal, which of course wasn't deserved. Yao <laughs> Ming was a good player, but he but he was no Shaq. And thinking back to that that uh, pre-draft era, that of course was during the Tim Floyd reign of terror with the Bulls, when they were one of the worst teams in the league, and they wound up getting the second pick in that draft. I wonder had they got the first, would Jerry Krause have taken Yao Ming and said, "Well, I'll play Eddie Curry at the four and Tyson Chandler at the three. You know. <laughs> <laughs> they certainly would have had the tallest basketball team in creation, like yeah. uh, 6 11, 7 1, 7 5 across the front line. Unfortunately, Eddie Curry, and that's another story I'll say for another time, he turned out to be a stiff for the most part in his NBA and certainly his Bulls career. Tyson Chandler at least got one ring and had a long, successful career between the two of them. Yeah, and, and the Bulls got dealt a bad hand, unfortunately, in that draft. They took Jay Williams with the second pick, who was everyone's national college player of the year from Duke. and. You know, he had some good games as a rookie, but really didn't, you know, didn't play as well as I think a lot of us thought coming out of Duke as an All-American. And then, of course, had the horrible motorcycle accident, which effectively ended his career. And every time I see Jay Williams on TV now, I'm like, what might have been? And I'm sure he, I'm sure it's a lot more painful for him. You know, he's making good money uh, working for ESPN and he's carved out a great career for himself. But, you know, for a guy who was the top player in college basketball to only get to play one year in the league, I'm sure... He lies awake at night thinking about what might have been. Yeah, and Jerry Reinsdorf did him a favor and a half. Jerry Reinsdorf, per the contract, as you well know, Mark, he did not have to pay him after that accident right. because it was written into his contract. You can't do things like what he did to get himself hurt. But Jerry Reinsdorf, and this is one of the many stories you can tell about Jerry Reinsdorf and how magnanimous he has been over all these years, contrary to popular opinion by a lot of people. Jerry Reinsdorf has done a lot of good things for a lot of people over the years. That was one of many. Yeah, he's been incredibly loyal, not only to his front office personnel, but to players as well. You know, there's been plenty of stories. Randy Brown coming back to the organization when when he had lost all his money and, you know, helping guys get their, their championship rings back. I mean, yeah, the, the organization has been very loyal to people who have, have, have worked before. And that is one of the hallmarks of the Reinsdorf uh, ownership of both the Bulls and the White Sox. All right, Mark, that'll wrap it up for today. It's going to be a busy week upcoming for the Bulls. The next time we talk will be right after the trading deadline, and I'm sure we'll have some good stories to tell about that. Yeah, we've been involved in a lot of them over the years, and it'll be interesting to see if AK pulls the trigger. You know, he's he's talked about the fact that he's very deliberate in his evaluations and he's very patient. We'll see if, uh, if that patience wears thin by next Thursday. Okay, all right. Until then, Mark, you have yourself a good week, and we'll talk next week. Sounds good, David.